Hey class, how are we? Yep, good, uh, always a good turnout. Uh, as a reminder, we'll finish about 10, I mean about 11, 15 to 20, no later than 20. Uh, we've got a small luncheon afterwards for our, uh, for our visitors. Um, Henry, if you need any help, you know, we have 20 men here that can move tables, et cetera. So for, for those of you, as always, this is also a fellowship room. And I've kind of begged the elders, and we've all agreed that we can make it as much as we can, a classroom for this hour. But afterwards, I've assured all of the people with showers and, and functions down here that I've got, you know, a class of 65 to 70 who can jump in and move things quickly. So I want to see that work. If it works, we're good. And if it doesn't work, I'm sure I'll be questioned again. So let's, let's make this work. Okay, uh, Revelation. You can open your Bibles to Revelation 6, um, but as I was looking through the text, we're going to talk about, as, as best we can, probably we'll go into it next week as well, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I know it's not a movie we're talking about here, it's an actual um, word from the Lord in Revelation chapter 6. And for those of you who have been with us for this entire study, uh, some of this is, is, uh, is a bit superfluous, you don't really need it, but as uh, last week Vince asked me a question at the very end of the class, what about the abomination of desolation? And he threw me off, we only had a few moments to talk about it, I thought he's ahead of himself because I would wanted to address that in Revelation 6. It does tie in, so we will talk about it this morning. Uh, remember the whole thesis? of Revelation, the, the truth is, regardless where you stand on the millennial or, or the tribulation or anything that you may have heard or may have even studied, the fact is one day Jesus will return. That we know for sure. <clears throat> one day we'll all be caught up together with him in the sky, in the clouds, in the heavens, and there we will be with the Lord forever. As all the saints of old, from the moment of Adam forward, the fact is there is a heaven and there is presently this earth. And I do agree with the Apostle Peter. It might be semantics when he says the heavens, will be, the heavens and the earth will be destroyed with fire. So the whole concept of the millennial uh, is interesting and it may well be true if you're a premillennialist. But I want to feed it into the reading as we go through Revelation. And so at the very least, there's a, there's a bit of a foundation. Uh, we started with Revelation 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> In fact, this is not really a timeline, but I want to remind us that <clears throat> the day of the Lord is spoken of through Daniel, Ezekiel, <clears throat> um, actually in several places in the Old Testament and in Revelation as well, the day of the Lord. <clears throat> most students, I hesitate using the word scholars, but most <clears throat> Bible students, scholars, believe that it's just synonymous for the tribulation. There's going to be a day when God will reckon with evil once and for all, that Jesus Christ will come, he will remove all evil, he will make all things new, and that's the theme, that's the story of Revelation, the apocalypse. That which was hidden, Revelation, is now revealed. The one revealing it is the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, and that revelation was given to John, you know, 
the Father, Son, and Spirit gave it to John. John gave it to the seven churches, Revelations 1 through 3, 2 and 3, and uh, Revelations chapter 4 and 5, the great throne scene. We discussed that last week. God is holding a scroll. It's sealed with seven seals. The first four seals are the four horsemen. In fact, six of the seven seals are recorded in one chapter, Revelation 6. That tells you that the seventh seal takes the rest of the book to unfold. Jesus breaks it open. We read that in Revelation 8, Revelation 7, sort of an interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal. When that seventh seal is open, there are seven trumpets. When the seventh trumpet sounds, there are seven bowls of wrath. When the last bowl of, bowl of wrath has been poured out, uh, we have the final battle, and then we have the victory <clears throat> with God, Father, Son, Spirit. The Lamb of God is victorious, and a new heaven and a new earth is ushered in, Revelation 21 and 22. It's important that you understand, at the very least, this broad outline. <clears throat> the throne scene sets everything up, Revelation 4 and 5, and then we have the seven seals broken. There's only one who is worthy. That's the keeper, by the way. Don't forget that. <clears throat> There's no one else worthy in heaven. Not any of the great apostles or the patriarchs or the prophets or angels or archangels. No one can break open the seals other than God. God the Son, the Lamb of God, <clears throat> who is standing before the throne with looking like a Paschal Lamb, a Passover Lamb, fit for the sacrifice, but... His throat's been cut, blood is running down, but he's very much alive. That's the message. And then around God are four living creatures. Every living creature, each one of them will, will say, come, and you have a new rider coming out. The Lamb of God, right, breaks the seal, the first seal. One of the living creatures says to the whole heavens, come. And out of that seal is a rider on a white horse. We'll talk about it. The second seal broken. Again, Revelation 6, 3 and 4, um, the Lamb breaks the second seal, another living creature, strong, you know, those four living creatures, probably four cherubim, shouts out to the heavens, come, and this rider on a fiery red horse comes galloping out. And then you have the third living creature, come, and the rider on a black horse comes out. Pestilence, famine, war. And then the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, the living, fourth living creatures, bellows out, come, and you have death coming out on a pale horse. And a lot of uh, imagery in Hollywood and all around the world have focused on the four horsemen. Don't believe any of that, but we do have the source right here. And those four horsemen just have, they just produce chaos, just chaos. But that's nothing compared to what the trumpets will call in and the bowls of wrath. It gets progressively worse for the unbelieving humanity. It, it goes from bad to hellacious. And then, and they're just, it's like Pharaoh. Every time something happens, they just, they just uh, are all the more, uh, their hearts are hardened. And then, so that, you know, that's, that's this part, Revelation 1 through 18. And the tribulation or the day of the Lord, some say seven years. We've talked about it from Daniel, and we can get into it in more detail. <clears throat> I'm hurrying because I want to do this, but I want to get talk about what Vince brought up 
uh, 19 and 20. Now, these aren't verse 1. This is, you know, around 19 and 20, <clears throat> you have the final battle. Where does Hollywood and Revelation, where do they say the final battle will be fought? <clears throat> Armageddon, outside Jerusalem. So you've got the final battle. Who wins? We win. And then you have Jesus, the Lamb of God, ushering in the new earth and the new heavens. All right. <clears throat> now, the reason I haven't really addressed this whole millennial, uh, these doctrines, is because, uh, well, actually in chapter 1, it was, I mean, chapter, now we're there, really, so I need, to, I need to talk about it somewhat. And this is, I mean, this is the bird's eye view for, forgive the, 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 the hurrying through, so make notes, make them in your mind, write them down. As we read through Revelation, you can bring it up again, and we can spend more time on it. There are basically only two. I know all your books of theology and so forth, your writers will say there are basically there are four uh, views of the millennial, uh, but but two are really subviews. And this is this is the gospel according to Wit here. So you've got basically a post post millennial view and a premillennial view. The A is um, forgot my word. Goodness. Um, huh? You do it too? <laughs> I'm not the only one? Ah! That's why there's no word. It's just ah. It's ah millennial. Ah millennial is, is ah, I was trying to think of a word. Ah millennialism falls under what I consider post-millennialism. Post-millennialism. Historic millennialism would, would be a kind of an outbreak of premillennialism. Now, this is what they're talking about in a nutshell. Remember these words, even though they may not be in our fellowship vernacular. The word um, uh, tribulation, the word rapture, uh, keep in mind those words. The tribulation is the period of time that Revelation talks about from Revelation 6 through 18. I promise you, no matter what word you want to use, that is the hour of trial. That's the, that's the seven years of tribulation, if you believe in the seven years literally. If you don't, that's the tribulation. Okay. <clears throat> You've got the rapture occurring, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord will descend from heaven. With the cry of command, the archangels call, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are left, who are alive at his coming, shall be caught up. Rapture, Greek word, caught up. The word rapture is not there, it comes from the Latin, but caught up. Okay, so let me go down here. Your premillennialist will say <clears throat> that when Jesus Christ comes one day, there will be a caught up, a rapture. And all believers in Christ, saved by the grace of the Lamb, all believers will be taken up and there to be with the Lord in heaven, not on earth. Following, there are two different views of that, but we're not going to go into the details, so that's primarily what the premillennialists say. And then after the rapture, you have the tribulation, <clears throat> which is a seven-year period. There is a break at three and a half, um, and we'll, really the abomination of desolation touches upon that. So you've got the, are you with me still? You have the rapture, we're gone. We're, we're not here. We're, we're with the Lord. So who's left on earth? Only unbelievers. 
Jews who did not believe in the Messiah being Jesus Christ and all of the other, uh, all the other unbelievers. So what's the purpose of the scroll with the seven seals? The purpose is it is uh, uh, to unveil God's judgment. It's a judgment call. He will come. He will judge. All along, he gives everyone the chance to repent. Talked about the two prophets before. We're going to get to it later on. But could someone become a Christian in the premillennialist view after the rapture? The answer is yes. According to that, yes. Why? Well, just look down after of Revelation 6 and verse 9. All of the martyrs who are under the altar. It's a sacrificial imagery. Well, I thought they were already in heaven. Well, these are the martyrs who have come to Christ during the tribulation. So all of this is going on. I want to have just words. I was going to use the other side of the board. So you've got for pre, you've got rapture, tribulation, the final battle, Jesus wins, and you have your thousand-year reign. Okay. <clears throat> comes from Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3, 2. Talks about Jesus will reign for 1,000 years. So just keep in mind the order of our fellow Christians throughout the world who have this view, and it may be us, it may be me, I haven't shared any of that. But one of the major views is for, for those who believe the millennial, the millennium has not arrived yet, they are pre-millennialists. The, the tribulation is before the 1,000 years. It's literal, not symbolic. There will be a 1,000-year literal reign of Jesus on earth the way that it was created before the fall, Adam and Eve, this beautiful paradise before the devil, the serpent, the dragon in Revelation, before it's ruined by him. And now he's out of the picture. So the millennial on earth, he's gone. And there's not a lot said post-millennial. You just have to, you're just, every, we're all together. Are you with me? Premillennial, rapture, tribulation, the millennium. Your post-millennialist here, they, it's exactly what it says. They believe the tribulation um, that... When, when, I'll put it this way, that whenever the rapture occurs, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Jesus comes again and we're all caught up. They believe that the, that the millennial is not literal, it's symbolic, and it began at the cross. Death, burial, resurrection. It began when the Lord established his church. Was Satan bound at that time? You bet he was bound. Is he still very much alive? Yeah, but he's bound. What do you mean bound? I mean, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He can't touch you unless you want him to. I mean, you, you, he, can't, he can't, you know, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. So your post-millennialists believe that the millennium began at the crucifixion, technically the resurrection, but right at that time, that, in that moment. And that we're living today in the millennial, in the, <laughs> those wrong form of parts of speech. We're living in the millennium right now. And the tribulation occurred way back, seven years. Post-resurrection, seven years later, you've got, and again, it's symbolic. So it was a period of time, and it's still sort of going on. If you take away all the symbolism, 
pardon me, if you take away all the literalism, then you end up with you can pretty much make a thousand be ten thousand. Makes no difference because we're talking about the concept, not the actual year. Do you understand the two difference? The the, the two differences. The premillennialists will say, many of my friends, colleagues that I teach with will say the millennium has not even arrived yet. Others that I used to teach with, in all honesty, would say we're in the millennium right now. Now, who cares? Well, there's some truth to the question. I worked, uh, the, here's, here's an aside, I, I worked for a, an independent Baptist, and there is an independent Baptist denomination. Best, best boss, best, one of the best men I've ever known in my life. Uh, Cal Bogart buried, uh, buried his, his wife some time ago, Alzheimer's. Cal's 13 years older than I am. I know that because our birthday nearly fell on the same day 13 years prior. So Cal's nearly, if not, he's already 90, still alive, lives in San Antonio. Uh, he's a Baptist, and the Baptists are very strong, most of them, on being a premillennial think thinkers. But he, I asked him one time, we were talking about this, um, the end times, you know, this eschatology, and he said, I don't know. He said, I know I stand pretty much alone. He said, the truth is, I don't know. All I care about is when the Lord comes, I'm with him. I'm with him. There's a lot of truth in that. Is Revelation exciting? Did God give it to us for us to learn? Yes. I think the real lesson is we're going to win. And right now, we're in, we may not think we're going to win, but God tells us no matter what you're going through, you're going to win. Now, you could win on earth, physical battle, or you can, you're going to win. So I agreed with my brother Cal when he said, all I really care about is I want to be taken up. I mean, I want to go. I want to, you know, you can burn it up, but I want to be gone. Okay. <clears throat> Now, there, also, there, there is also in Revelation this concept of the Trinity. We talk about the Trinity, and the, these words are not used in Scripture that I'm aware of. We talk about the Trinity uh, being, and I believe it with all my heart, that, there, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Lamb of God, Root of David, Lion of Judah, <clears throat> and the seven spirits. Are you with me? Holy Spirit, Son, and Father. There is... Whenever Revelation unfolds, it is very clear that we have the dragon talked about in Revelation 12, even identified as Satan, right? Even the word Satan is used. The great deceiver, the dragon, the Antichrist that John talks about in 1 John 2, 22 and elsewhere, the Antichrist is the beast from the uh, sea that comes up in Revelation 12. And I think it's referenced right here in 6, 1, and 2. The, I think the first horseman of the apocalypse was indeed described as the Antichrist, not Jesus. The one who wants to fool the world in believing that I'm the new Messiah, right? And even our Lord spoke of, you know, in the Gospels, in Matthew 24, there will be many times when, you know, there will be many Christs who come. These false Christs, these false messiahs. Antichristos, anti-Christ, right? So you've got the dragon, the devil. You've got the anti-Christ, you know, Jesus, anti-Christ. And then in Revelation 13, you, we're introduced to what I think is the false prophet. No, it is the false prophet, but I believe it's the Holy Spirit, the parallel to the Spirit. So you've got the, this unholy trinity. You've got the dragon, the antichrist, 
and the beast from the earth, which is the false prophet. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And all of this, I'm bringing all this up now because as we read through it, you know, I think it'll make more sense. The purpose of God's Spirit within me, within you, within the church, is to point us to Jesus. He is the Logos. He is the Word. The job, if I could use that word, the, the job of the Holy Spirit, John 17, is to guide us. Well, guess what? Revelation 13, when the dragon appointed the false prophet. The job of the false prophet was to point to the Antichrist. I mean, it just unfolds very clearly. And God is sick of it, and he's going he's gonna to make amends real soon. It's going to end. You know, the Antichrist is be destroyed. The whole, it's, it's going to end. The Satan will be gone. Antichrist gone. False prophet gone. Only the righteous will be left. All right? Because Satan is, I'll use the word impotent, powerful, but compared, powerful compared to me, but powerless compared to God. And God makes this point clearly. You are not God, you are not Messiah, and you are not the Spirit. And he kills them all. They're gone. And that's revelation. Okay, um, so that's this part of it. Now, last week, Vince brought up, asked me about the abomination of desolation. Now, we may or may not get to the first six verses, but I can read through those next week, and boy, we'll, they'll, the four horsemen will come pretty fast. Um, Vince, what... Do, do you recall what text you were thinking about when you asked the question, what is the abomination of desolation? Yeah, you've only seen it twice. It's just not any other place, but Revelation alludes to it. But Matthew 24, I tell you what, you want to hear the, you want to hear the red letter edition? You know, I know the black letter edition is every bit as powerful because the Holy Spirit just empowers all of the words. But when I see it in red, I have to admit, even at my age, I kind of sit up and take notice. Jesus speaks in Matthew 24, all 19 verses. And he references, he even says, the prophet Daniel. And he talks about the abomination of desolation. And I'll tell you what, the reason I brought this up, one of the reasons is because wherever you are in these two, if you, whichever camp you're in is how you define abomination of desolation. You can look at, do I have it written here? Yeah. You can look at Matthew 24, 15. All 19 verses are the end times. You ought to read Matthew 24 carefully because it just, it's the precursor to what John reveals through the Lamb who's speaking in Revelation. You've got the, the abomination of desolation, and Jesus is alluding to Daniel 9.27, when Daniel 2 prophesies about it. Now, just think of the words. An abomination is anything that is disgusting. It makes you sick. There are things that disgust God. I'll give you something completely off, for example. In the book of Proverbs, I think Proverbs 17, I'll look it up later, <clears throat> there are six things the Lord hates, the seventh he abominates. Do you know what the seventh is? Sowing discord among brethren. God hates these things. He abominates sowing discord. He just, it just makes him sick. The word abomination is used frequently in the Old Testament. 
Leviticus 18, talking about uh, same-sex um, of relationships. It's an abomination to the Lord. Why? Because God created man and woman. He created male and female. He created the earth to reproduce. Anything other than that is, doesn't follow the natural order of creation. That's an aside. You know, we can't hardly talk about things anymore without going political uh, in our minds, even if the speaker doesn't. And I tell you the truth, my mind goes political too. And I don't like it. I, and it's, it's the, I wish the devil would have stopped it years ago with me, you know. But anyway, you've got, I mean, you, you know, the, uh, the brain works so fast you can't stop these thoughts. Yeah. So, an abomination. Well, the, the location, Vince, is always the temple in Jerusalem. How many temples have there been? Don't mean to have a test question. Two. Who built the first one? Solomon. David wanted to, Solomon, and who built the second one? Herod. Now, was there any temple when Jesus was speaking in Matthew 24? When he was alive on earth, was Herod's temple still standing? The answer is yes, still standing. In Daniel's day, Herod's temple was standing, not Solomon's. They've already gone and and you know, I guess you could argue back and forth, but the, the abomination of desolation occurs in the temple. For example, many believe, you're post-millennialist, and really pre-2, Daniel might well have been making reference to a Greek Hellenistic king who would later, before Daniel, he's prophesying. And you'll have to read the text. All of chapter 9, 9 through 11 are filled with, you really need to read it. I would do it now if we had a two-hour class. But Daniel talks about there will come an um, evil ruler who will desolate God's dwelling place. He called it, it will be an abomination in English, an abomination of desolation. Jesus picked up on that and told the apostles the same thing as in times were approaching. Now, in 175 to 164, do I have it? No, I don't. Yeah, I do. In, one, in about 175 B.C., before Christ, indeed, there was... A king, uh, a Seleucid king who, he's Greek king, um, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, Antiochus. So Antiochus sits on the throne of the Seleucid throne. He goes to Jerusalem and he builds inside of, I guess that had to be uh, 175. He builds it inside Herod's temple and the, the, um, it's, an, it's an altar to Zeus. I mean, think how this, think of the symbolism. Here, God's people, this is God's dwelling place, Ark of the Covenant, Holy of Holies. I mean, you ought to go back in the law and read how, if you, could, if you even touched it, you were dead. I mean, this is pretty special stuff. And here's this king, this pagan, unbeliever, ungodly, evil, wicked, murderous king who throws everything out and builds an altar to Zeus. And you know what his first sacrifice was from what I've read in history? It was a pig. A pig. All right. Was that an abomination of a sacred place? Did it defile? Was it an abomination? Yeah, absolutely it was. 
abomination of desolation. Was Jesus referring to King Antiochus? Well, he couldn't have been because he lived 200 years after Antiochus. So what's our Lord referencing? Well, your post-millennialists will say he's referencing Titus. General Titus, Roman army, who comes through Jerusalem in AD 70, levels the temple. Your premillennials will say there was no abomination of the, you know, there was, there was no sacrifice made, there was no altar built. He just leveled the temple. Okay, do, do you follow where this is going? So it seems like Antiochus the fourth, Titus of the Roman army, or the Antichrist who is yet to come. In order, and this is where I differ with, in order, if I understand it correctly, and I think I have over the years with our brotherhood, the, in order for me to be a post-millennialist, I have to stop here, pretty much. Or I have to conclude there have been many antichrists. Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, you know, going back, you know, generation after generation, all these people. And that very well may be true. Um, okay, do you, do, you, do you sort of, I really want to read these, but we don't have the time. Next week we'll actually take the text out and read it. Does anybody have a question? Uh, we do have five minutes, and I can read through those eight verses of Four Horsemen pretty fast. Uh, anybody have a thought on this or a question? I know it's been all lecture. Uh, Benton, yes. So, uh, other than all that's kind of been on my mind during the last century, you know, when you say, when you hear about, you know, Antichrist, Antichrist is coming. I'm kind of like, and I'll make it wrong, I don't know. I, I've looked at history, and I have picked myself. Several people, like you said, <clears throat> that I consider. So there's not, there's not necessarily any one antichrist. I mean, is that a dumb question? To ask? Well, it's not at all a dumb question. That's no, that's no, their no, argument. All these different, you know, like like Stalin and all, all of these have come along that have just slaughtered people for whatever reason they thought in their crazy mind. Uh, you know, it's just so evil. So I, I look at, I, I, I think, okay, this this person here. Man or woman, I guess you'd say, if they were that bad, this person, this person, this person. And Jesus, it d does use the plural, but he also uses, he also specifies a singular on one occasion. So, ha are, have there been others who were against Christ? Yeah, hello, absolutely. Some notorious worldwide notoriety. But Revelation 6 implies, and I think Revelation will unfold, this is food for thought now, the first horseman of the apocalypse on the white horse, which many believe to be the Antichrist, and I certainly don't believe it's Jesus. Jesus is in Revelation 19 on a white horse, different crown. He's wearing a crown of royalty, diadi, and in um, Revelation 6, it's a, it's a crown of victory. Revelation shows the Antichrist will come and be a friend to the world. Now, the premillennialists will say for three and a half years, then he'll break the covenant with Jews, with the Israels, with, because they plan to build a third temple. And so there's going to be another desolation of abomination in the third temple that's yet to be built, will be built when the Antichrist comes in, and he tricks the world. He's a smooth talker. He is asking for a global economy, global, we could put all this in the last hundred years. He's asking, 
according to Revelation, bringing up a, a global economy with one person in charge, um, and it's all through deception. He, he will say the, the right words with evil intent, evil motives. It's that Isaiah moment, you know, when you call evil good and good evil and immoral moral and moral immoral and that beautiful section there by the prophet. So let's go ahead very quickly. Um, trust me, we, I'll just stop in mid-sentence if I need to. Open up to Revelation 6. So, Benson, as we open to it, that, you know, many would say there have been people against Christ, but not the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist doesn't come warring, he comes in peace. All right, first, here we go. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. The Lamb of God, the Root of David, the Lion, the lion of Judah, the Root of David. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, you think that's loud? Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. His rider held a bow. Notice just a bow. No ammunition, no, no arrows. And he was given a crown for those like Philip, a reminder that you were, this, this crown is Stephanos, and it's and it's a crown of royalty, Stephanos, accents on the Eps. Steph, it's a crown of, of, not royalty, crown of victory, crown of war, unlike the crown that Jesus would wear. To me, that's important. It may not mean much to you. Uh, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. As this unfolds in Revelation 12 and 13, he's, he's, he's conquesting, he's conquering, <laughs> he's I didn't used to even say things like that. <laughs> I was pretty efficient. He, was, he conquered not through the drawn bow with an arrow. Right? He conquered with his words. Slick, smooth, a gatherer. Really, without trying to judge all 535 leaders we have in the, inside the beltway, you know, I don't know if I believe any of them. <laughs> Excuse me. But he conquers with words, all right? Okay, that's the first horseman. I believe he's referencing the Antichrist right here. White horse meant victory, victorious. Generals all rode in. So the horse is a sign of war, and the color white, the war is over. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. This is, this is the warrior rider. You've got the first one, and, and, and if you, whenever I say three and a half years, you know, pre-trib, or it's just called the tribulation, the great tribulation, last three and a half years. But at least understand that in the process of this 18 chapters, there is a division. And the first half of it shows the Antichrist um, welcoming and loving and doing all of these things that Jesus did, but he's got the dragon behind him, you know, doing all the pushing. And then you've got the second rider coming, and the second rider, keep in mind these four horsemen weren't boom, 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 boom. We're talking people, uh, uh, large periods of time. So you've got the Antichrist for however long, You've got the fiery red horse rider forever long, and the fiery red horse rider was 
was a civil war. He, he did nothing. He undid all the peace that the Antichrist produced, influenced by the dragon and the Antichrist. Okay. Um, 20 after, brother. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying it's 20 after to give you a marker on time. You must be here for the business. <laughs> Somebody's got to be in charge. <laughs> He's right. I said mid-sentence. Man! You did. I'm holding you to your word. No, you're right, bro. Okay. All right, we'll stop. Well, not because Henry said so, but because... <laughs> But because he reminded me, that's what I promised. So you've got four horsemen, white horse, red horse, black horse, and pale horse. And then you have the fifth and sixth seal, and then we'll go into the rest of Revelation. God bless you all. I'm going to have a closing prayer. No, I've, I've talked the whole time. Sheesh. Uh, William, close us in prayer, brother. Thank you. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Father, we just thank you, dear Lord, that we can uh, study a portion of your word. Uh, Father, we pray through the Holy Spirit that you reveal those things that we need to learn about this, Amen. dear Lord, and help Amen. us to move beyond those things that we don't understand and realize, dear Lord, that there's inclusions to the whole matter. Father, we thank you. We praise you, dear Lord. We want to give you honor in every aspect of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Keep an open mind.